you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and canna-curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Monday, April 22nd, 25th. 2022. This is episode number 200. I'm Susan Soares, the founder of the Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 29,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about the California drought and our farmers. New York wants to give pizza joints the A-OK to sell infused food. 500 pounds of cannabis spilling on a highway on 420. Eight scientists spending 16 months to, t- to determine that edibles look like food. Flaming Lips frontman inks a deal for edibles that look like human brains. Are town-owned cannabis farms a coming trend? And many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. My gong. There we go. I am going to start off today with my story. And so, besides what about the children... And not in my backyard, cannabis opponents often bring up how much precious water cannabis uses in its cultivation when arguing about legislation. Now the shoe's on the other foot. My story comes from MJ Biz by Chris Casachia. The headline is, California Drought Plan Could Exclude Cannabis as Growers Prepare for Dry Summer. So Governor Newsom has a plan for our historic drought. A proposal by Governor Gavin Newsom would pay farmers not to plant crops. It's known as fallowing this year as drought conditions worsen. The fallowing proposal aims to cut production of water-intensive crops such as rice, alfalfa, and nuts. Some advocates are upset cannabis hasn't been placed on the list. Quote, it's an unfortunate double standard that some farmers are deemed worthy of receiving this kind of support, but cannabis farmers who are still fighting to have cultivating cannabis plants recognized as agriculture are in a position where they have no ability to pause their operations and their tax burden without endangering their ability to remain in the licensed market, said Michael Katz, executive director of the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance. Quote, if we don't see more support, 
programs that factor in the drought, we will see the continuing loss of small independent cannabis businesses. The Origins Council, which represents nearly 900 licensed small and independent marijuana businesses, has been advocating state and local governments for six months to enact following policies because of drought conditions. Quote, to date, they have not committed to create a following policy, the organization's executive director, Janine Coleman, told MJ Biz Daily. Quote, the state has an ethical obligation to support our cannabis farmers in being able to fallow during this unprecedented historic drought, unquote. How bad is the drought, you ask? It's bad. So far this year, we've had the least rain and snow in California history. All 58 counties have declared a drought emergency. So which is it, cannabis prohibitionists? Do we use too much water? Okay, then pay our farmers who are not making it because of the fucking one-acre cap was a Trojan horse not to grow this year, just like you do alfalfa farmers. And by the way, I know one of those alfalfa farmers, they take the government subsidies and just spread the rows out so they have 50% less rows, but the plants grow bigger, so they actually grow almost as much product. We've got Michael Katz up on the stage, and I, I, I brought him up because I wanted to hear from him uh, directly. He's such an amazing advocate for the farmers. Michael, what... what what do you insight do you have for us? Thanks, Susan. Well, you know, I, I, as Janine said in the article, there's been a lot of efforts on the advocacy side trying to implement following programs both at the state and local levels. Uh, this is something that's not really an issue for other farmers because most agricultural endeavors do not require outrageous, exorbitant taxes and fees up front just to be able to operate. And so the unfortunate reality is that if in order to actually stop the tax burden that's imposed by the state, uh, there is no way to do that other than actually just leave the cannabis program. And because of the changes that have happened recently in California cannabis licensing law, the provisional license, which is what is enabled people to kind of transition from the previous market into the new market, that has really gone away except for equity operators. So any small farmer who tries to step out because of the drought, because of the challenges in the market right now, they will lose their license if they don't continue paying those fees. So when you say step out of the market, what what do you mean? I mean, there are a lot of licensed operators who are having significant difficulty staying in the licensed market, being able to afford the taxes and fees, being able to accommodate oppressive local land use regulations. And due to the market uh, structure and the oversupply that you mentioned related to the one acre cap, you know, most or uh, many, many small farmers uh, in our region and around the state are having a lot of trouble moving their product from last season. And so this is a perfect storm of challenges. And really, the state and the local governments have the ability to make this more manageable. And it's really just a question of if the will is there. There's no question what has to be done. Uh, it's just a question of will it be done. It seems like a really good opportunity for Governor Newsom to come in and support the farmers, and I, I don't, I don't know why he wouldn't do it. Do Do we have any idea what kind of uh, money we're talking about if they were to bring cannabis into the program? It's hard to say the the specifics of who all will be getting exactly what. Uh, I think is as the article says, still in development. But in our experience. A lot of these uh, support programs that are coming in at the state level, unless they are specifically 
identified as being related to cannabis, they are un they're usually not accessible to cannabis operators. So you'll see grant opportunities and uh, small business grants that come out from GoBiz and other parts of the state, but often the cannabis operators are not able to access them. And the few programs that are developed that would have direct access by cannabis operators, uh, but will be accessible to cannabis operators, they're not given direct access. What has to happen is that a nonprofit or a governmental organization has to apply for these grants and then can distribute them. So even when grants are being theoretically earmarked for cannabis operators, getting access to them is incredibly onerous. And there's a lot of uh, bottlenecking along the way, which makes it harder to get those funds. But let, let's say in an <clears throat> ideal world, uh, Governor Newsom woke up tomorrow and said, hey, I'm going to try and save these farmers and, and give them some of this money. Um, <clears throat> do, do we ha have any idea if it would be even enough to keep people? I, I suppose putting fees on hold and your license on hold for a year would help, but... Absolutely, yeah. I mean, recently we saw the state, and it's interesting because the state does put out policies with messaging that indicates they understand the challenges that the small farm community is facing. Like recently, there was $100 million that was distributed among several counties and municipalities to help transition provisional operators to annual operators, uh, to annual licenses. But that those programs are being implemented in the localities and the, the funds are it's having trouble reaching people. But when the state did the equity fee waiver, which uh, I don't know if there are still funds available for that, but it was open to anyone who fit the state's definition of what equity was, not even according to a local definition. But I know that that saved a lot of people their state fees for this coming year. But this is something that globally is an issue and shouldn't just be accessible to equity operators. It's something that should be accessible to all small farmers as we are experiencing these incredible challenges. Okay, well, we've reached our time on this headline. And Can we just talk about the elephant in the room, Susan, on this story? Yes, please. The, what is the, it? the elephant in the room in this real story is the almond industry because they're the ones that control a majority of where California's water goes to as well as the erroneous amount of water that it takes to produce one almond. And so what really needs to happen is that people across the state and across the country need to band together and ban almond products and start boycotting almond products. Stop your fucking almond milk because the only reason that they make it is because they produce so many almonds that they needed to create another derived product to get those rid of those almonds. Wow. And I do, I'll just say the one last thing, if it's okay, Susan, thanks for bringing that up, Jason, is that, you know, uh, New Frontier Data, which is an organization that does a lot of data analysis for cannabis, put out some really valuable water use information. And it turns out that cannabis, especially in California, California uses the least amount of water of any crop. And so you mentioned uh, almonds. So it turns out like in acre feet. So uh, orchards in California use about 6 million plus acre feet of water a year, whereas cannabis uses 0 0.003 something million acre feet of water a year. So it's certainly not cannabis and licensed cannabis that's causing this drought, uh, but it is one of the areas that needs the most support to weather the storm. 
Wow, that's that's incredible. We need to start exporting cannabis out of the state of California. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us today and taking time out of your busy schedule. We're going to keep moving. Up next is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your headline today, Rico? Morning, everybody. My story is coming from uh, Carl Campanelli over at the New York Post. New York ways giving pizza joints, other eateries okay to sell cannabis infused food. It's the water. That's always been the go-to answer for New Yorkers, explaining to outsiders like me wondering what is exactly what is it exactly that makes those world famous pizza pies so damn special. Well, according to the New York Post, kind of like California's summers, when it comes to Manhattan pies, water may soon be yesterday's news. That's right. Per the article, state officials are debating whether to allow pizzerias and other eateries sell fresh cannabis-infused foods alongside packaged edibles. And though he admitted the regulations regarding infused food products haven't been released yet, Office of Cannabis Management spokesperson Aaron Geidelman did confirm discussions about awarding special licenses to food preparers. So in an all-inclusive pizzeria, it could be soon a reality. Allowing eaters to use cannabis wasn't something that was considered, said State Senator uh, Liz Kruger speaking on when she worked on the legalization effort. Uh, but that hasn't stopped infused pies from being the talk of the town between entrepreneurs eyeing the opportunity. For the Post, some pizza makers are even talking about building relationships with suppliers and experimenting with oils and tomato and pesto sauces, even uh, highlighted stone pizza and an alleged East Village THC speakeasy that advertises gourmet cannabis pizza. But we Californians know all too well, some cannabis ideas are better pitched than ex- executed. Kruger went on to say, current New York law prohibits anyone under 21 from buying or being on site where infused food is served, and the amount of cannabis and foods would have to be labeled correctly to reflect accurate doses in each slice. Another hurdle would be cannabis licensees unable to obtain liquor licenses and vice versa. But it hasn't stopped local advocates like Max Bookman from NYC Hospitality Alliance. Uh, We've been advocating for unlicensed cannabis sales for restaurants and nightlife establishments. New York is the culinary capital of the world, but denying establishments from having both a liquor and cannabis license killed our buzz. The problem is cannabis is still federally illegal. Besides FDA issues popping up around what is and isn't safe to consume and distribute, it's an insurance liability, too. I don't know how many times I've seen random New Yorkers in public passed out with in vulnerable positions with slices in hand. Who would be liable after someone served a slice too many? I'm sure plenty of tourists and newbies would be quick to point fingers at the weed establishments. NCIA Deputy Director of Communications Bethany Moore was quoted saying, adults must be 21 to purchase products from a licensed dispensary held to intense regulatory and compliance standards beyond what pizzerias and other restaurants may be able to do compliantly without incurring additional operating expenses. She tells no lies. No industry is regulated heavier than ours, and even though it's fun to speculate, With restaurant owners nationwide struggling to kick delivery app habits developed over the pandemic, adding another 15 to 30 percent to already razor thin margins. I don't think that we'll see any finalized regulatory language supporting this anytime soon. My prediction is we'll continue seeing separate restaurant and consumption lounge lounge options similar to how 
we do now until federal legalization drops. Just way too many what ifs that'll lead to legal nightmares. But for those who don't want to wait, there's always private party loopholes where countless entrepreneurial chefs have been operating trappily in the gray for years. I mean, if you know, you know. This is Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. And I, I don't know about y'all, but I can't wait to try some of them New York trap pies next time I'm out in the Apple. Interested in hearing what the rest of the team thinks about this. I think- is a trap pie similar to a space cake in Amsterdam, Rico? Ooh, I like that. This sounds delicious. Like, I'm from the East Coast originally, and you cannot beat that New York pizza. So, I mean, it's hard to stop eating it, period. So I'm a little bit afraid about how much I'll eat now. I think Bethany was a bit of a buzzkill. I understand that she represents the uh, cannabis industry, but uh, let them let them try. I mean, let's just go ahead and let them try and see no. what happens. No, yes, no, yes. no, no, yes. no, 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 no. There's and excuse me, Jason Beck. Let me just chime in here for a sec. Do we remember this stupid wedding that happened? You know, this past week and the uproar over that. I mean, uh, but the they, they released person, video too. They the released video from it. The first person piece of pizza that they didn't realize was, you know, infused. Uh, this is going to be a nightmare. This is not a good idea until the regulations. And for the same group of people in New York who try and get rid of straws and they want to put calorie counts on everything, I don't, where in God's name do you think these people are going to get on board with infusing pizza? That's not happening. Good morning to everybody. Uh, to the attorneys on the stage, wouldn't they need like a serious disclaimer? What if somebody with unstable angina, you know, ate ate more pieces than they should and had a heart attack and died. You know, what, how can the owner protect themselves? Well, you know, New York is just letting people do whatever they want to do, it sounds like. It's a trap. I was researching this a little bit more and I found more about Stone Pizza, the alleged uh, pizza shop owner. He actually just signed a 10-year lease and was set to open up on 420 and he's looking at selling 400 milligram uh, THC pizzas. So it's 400 what? milligrams of THC per person. And he's <laughs> yeah, yeah he's going to be have people so fucked up out there. It's going to yeah. be fucking crazy. Oh, my God. So what, it's like 50 to... milligrams a slice what, or something? Why don't, they just, why don't they just start with hemp and just everybody just take a chill for a minute and start it's not with cool, hemp and Chris, see if that works. CBD pizza. Cool. Chill out, dude. <laughs> Netflix and chill has a whole new thing. Oh, my God. Okay, well, we could go on, but we have to keep moving. Up next is co-producer Jason Beck. His provocative spin keeps the show popping. He has proven to be one of the most resilient players in the weed game since starting his first store in San Francisco. Rated by the DEA multiple times and surviving the drama of the past few decades, he is legitimately the longest continuous cannabis retailer in the United States. What have you got for us today? Jason. Oh, thank you so much, Susan. Rico, good morning. Hope everyone had a fabulous weekend. And here's a trigger warning because there's just going to be a lot of mad people about this story. And this story happened to have had happened on 420, you guys. So I hope you guys all enjoy because we found 500 pounds of marijuana spilled onto a Missouri highway on 420 in Callaway County, Missouri. A crash on a Missouri interstate led to a pot bust after a vehicle spilled 500 pounds of marijuana Wednesday afternoon, which was coincidentally 420. The Missouri State Highway Patrol shared a photo of the packaged marijuana scattered across the Interstate 70 in Callaway County, about 100 miles west of St. Louis. 
You don't see this every day, but it is 420, the agency tweeted on Wednesday. Officials said the amount of weed collected was so great that troopers needed multiple vehicles to get it to the evidence room. Police arrested two men uh, who were treated by EMS before being booked on drug trafficking charges. And the recommended sentencing range for Class A felony drug trafficking is 10 to 30 years in prison. Authorities said no one was seriously hurt in this crash, however. And I did get a report from the sheriff's department that did tell me that all of this weed was going to be turned into BHO and distillate. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. <laughs> the weed scraped off the highway is going to be turned into something. Yeah, it, it, it had it, 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 it had it had road rash on the, on the buds. <laughs> How do we get this hand out? Does that, uh, hey Jason? Does that technically make it outdoor? It, that would 100% be outdoor, and I'm pretty sure it was the fact that it was 500 pounds in Missouri. The irony of this is ridiculous. I mean, 500 pounds on the highway on 420. I mean, you can't make this shit up. I, that's why I had to cover this story. I, this is too good. They need to send it to Paraguay so they can brick it up. They could just send it to Tijuana to do that, Susan. Shall we keep smoking the news? Shall we toke? As long as we're not talking, just token that fucking roadkill boof weed. Maybe that's something that should legitimately be destroyed. Yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the fallout is. I mean, did they cause accidents? Is there insurance claims? What's going I, on? I already said that no one was seriously injured in this cause. Oh, my God. I wonder how many people pulled over and were, like, trying to grab it. If they knew what it was. I mean, it was Missouri, so I'm sure a lot of people, because they don't have any fucking good weed out there. Not to say this was. Now, coming up next, she's the CEO of the Original Breeders League, MJ BizCon's 2021 Golden, Blong, Golden Bong Influencer of the Year, and internationally recognized as one of the dopest mamas ever to grace this industry. Y'all know who's coming to stage next. Priscilla Agoncillo. What you got for us? Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Thank you so much, Rico. I really appreciate that introduction. Uh, So my story is Flaming Lips frontman Wayne Coyne inks marijuana edibles deal. The Nirvana Group announced on Monday that it has entered into a partnership with Love Your Brain, spelled with a Y-E-R. It's a cannabis edibles uh, brand uh, founded by the Flaming Lips frontman. The Nirvana Group will cultivate and source the cannabis used to manufacture Love Your Brain uh, edibles, including the company's signature human brain-shaped gummies. Three-time Grammy award-winning band, the Flaming Lips, released their latest critically acclaimed Warner Brothers Records album, American Head, in 2020. So there's like this theme going on with Head. Um, Coin's memories of growing up in Oklahoma City, uh, the, uh, the album covers uh, his experience of love, drugs, and death. Uh, so this edible line is supposed to encompass all of that. Um, He says that he's been in the cannabis business since the 1970s when he started selling pot to his friends at the age of 16. Uh, He says there will be plenty, there were plenty of times when I could have been robbed or killed, uh, but I was always thinking more about music and art than being a drug dealer businessman. (laughs) Coyne says that he was attracted to cannabis as a teenager because as a teenager in the late 70s, it represented a radical new American life, a life that was part of hippie freedom and part do-it-yourself gangster. Uh, He said for him personally back then, uh, pot 
or cannabis was too freaky. One hit would make him too stone and he would get paranoid, but he liked the way it helped a lot of his friends. The partnership also intends to introduce Love Your Brain to other legal marijuana markets in the Northeast and Southwest. This is Priscilla reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. So who's going to be on that Love Your Brain bandwagon? I'm not buying it. I he was he was all over the place with with cannabis use. Like he he made it seem really bad, but okay, it's good for other people. It's like what what qualifies you to be a leader in the cannabis space? And also, hello, can we we can't use human body parts, right? That's only in Colorado, Susan. Oh, okay. It sounds like he's just searching for a check. Yeah. Totally. I'm sorry, but I've never heard of the flaming lips in my life and have no clue who this dude is. And why wouldn't he use the shape of lips instead of <laughs> since he's a flaming lips? And why wouldn't the bad brains come out with a brain-shaped edible? <laughs> I think there are multiple states that prohibit uh, edibles that look like body parts or, and sometimes even animals. I'm not exactly sure which states they are. Right, and as California does not, though. Yeah, but as they come online and things change, why would you base your whole business model around something that could be banned? It worked for Mike Tyson. Well, right, Mike Tyson's was a little more provocative, but and totally on okay. brand. He should do. He should do a new uh, edible with that dude's face from the airplane. Yeah. Hey, Rico. Uh, Rico, what what's a blonde? Is that is that a bong for blondes? Yes. For or a very long bong for non-blongs. I think it's kind of interesting that it's a brain because if you want to talk about Susan Soares, our favorite nanograms book, um, in her book she talks about how the brain is so important and the child realizes how important that is. And obviously we know that THC is neuroprotective and has a lot of benefits. So I think that like some of the idea of his thing, like THC for your brain is good, but I think it should kind of be explained better. And I agree with all of your comments, guys. Just kind of Liz, you're, so, you're so right. New yep. spokesperson, you win the job. <laughs> you're, you're, you're so right, Liz, because you can't be smart without a brain. I, I agree, Liz. I think, I, I think it's, he was trying to, on the sly, say that uh, it's cannabis is good for your brain. Also, it's a gummy. It's full of sugar. And cannabis is good for your brain, but I think we've dialed it in a little bit with recent research and shown that there is potential for some shrinking in certain brain regions if you're taking really high THC and not balancing it out with CBD. So it probably would be better if we, I mean, if we made sure to focus on a whole cannabis product that included CBD. We're, we're at time, but I wanted to hear from Ollie Muffins before we move on. I, I just wanted to say, if your frame of reference for not doing it in the past is that you didn't want to be a drug dealer and, and you mentioned that and, and refer to cannabis sales as drug dealing, um, that automatically disqualifies you from, from my view. Yes, indeed. Let's keep smoking the news. Uh, you don't want to tell him, uh, Ali, to just sell better drugs, huh? Don't sell boof, whatever Anyways. you do. <laughs> Lots Shout of out to Canada. Yeah, exactly. And coming up to, to the stage next, this feisty redhead conservative proudly claims her Mayflower roots and never backs down from when challenged by the pot-loving libs across the aisle. The founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington insider is Gretchen Gailey. What do you have this morning for us, Gretchen? 
good afternoon. My headline is coming from Marijuana Moment, and it's an update on everybody's favorite Democrat, Chuck Schumer. Uh, Schumer makes promise on marijuana legalization bill timeline after repeated delays. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, on Friday made a promise to marijuana activists that he will introduce a bill to federally legalize cannabis before the congressional August recess, a statement tacitly acknowledging again that he hasn't met deadlines previously put forward for the highly anticipated legislation. The leader and colleagues have been working on the cannabis reform bill for over a year, and there's been some frustration among advocates and stakeholders over the protracted timeline for its formal introduction, which Schumer said in recent months would happen in April before putting out a statement last week uh, walking that back. Uh, His fellow uh, co-sponsors, Ron Wyden and Cory Booker, uh, filed a discussion draft of the CAOA last summer. That draft release also came months later than expected. Um, as the sponsors previously said that it would be put out in the early part of this year in 2021. In any case, the senator said that the newly extended timeline is necessary, enabling them to spend more time refining the bill's provisions with feedback from the public and bipartisan lawmakers that could help them overcome a steep vote threshold for passage in the chambers. Democrats hold just a slim majority in the Senate, and not everyone in the party is on board with the legalization. Schumer's latest comments were made at the National Cannabis Policy Summit uh, event in the nation's capital this weekend. He remarked that an event like the Marijuana Summit wouldn't have been conceivable years ago, but the issues is finally being taken seriously in Congress. He said, make no mistake, I'm working diligently with my Senate colleagues to make sure that the federal government catches up. This bill will be comprehensive, and I promise we will introduce this important legislation before the August recess. It's the right thing to do. It's about individual freedom and basic fairness. Uh, He said, adding that the war on drugs has been a war on people and overwhelmingly people of color. He concluded by reiterating that he's making a promise to keep working on the bill. Still at this point, some advocates and stakeholders have become skeptical about Senate leaders' follow-through on cannabis, especially when it comes to the timeline. Schumer had made prior commitments to bringing legalization to the floor, not just for the CAOA, but also for his earlier reform bill, the Marijuana Freedom and Opportunity Act. It's not yet clear if he still intends to hold a vote on the new legislation after it's introduced, even if it does have enough support to pass. In the floor speech on the unofficial uh, holiday 420 last year, he said he wanted to see the legalization proposal advance to a floor vote and go to the president's desk by this 420. But things haven't panned out exactly as planned. And the leader emphasized that there are about a dozen committees reviewing and making recommendations for the proposal as it continues to be finalized. Uh, I think that this delay is to be expected. I think the fact that he is going to try and get uh, so many people on board for this uh, means it's going to be a piece of legislation that no one likes. This Gretchen for State of Canvas News Hour. Did you say a pizza legislation, Gretchen? An infused pizza legislation. Yeah, yeah, a real, a real gut bomb. <laughs> I like that, Christopher. I think Schumer needs to quit making promises, man. Just get to work. Politicians never do well when they draw a line in the sand. It's always a bad idea, and I don't know why they keep doing it. Um, he needs about. to make he needs to make one important promise, and that is to come to the state of cannabis in the Americas June fifth or sixth to our. Come event. on, Schumer. Come on, Chuck. Come on, Schumer later. Come on, Senator Chucky Schumer. I feel like this is such a repeat 
Gretchen, I feel for you. Sometimes when I hear like Gretchen and Schumer, I'm like, oh man, not again. I feel like he just like never does anything. It's just like so much posturing all the time. And in all fairness, him, him doing nothing is actually great for our show because it gives us plenty of stuff to talk about. Well, and I, I, I do honestly believe that if they are trying as hard as they say they are, which I doubt that they are, but if they are, I think it's going to come up with uh, pieces of of this legislation that we're not going to like, um, because that's the only way he's going to get more Republicans on board because he doesn't have the Dems to do it. Um, so if you didn't like safe banking, you're probably not going to like this either. Um, well, well I have a feeling. Thing. I have a feeling we're not going to like it just based off the insanely high excise tax that they're trying to propose. Crazy. It's insane. You are correct. Uh, but Jason, I, I have to push back on your last statement a little bit. There is so much cannabis news every day. We don't need to talk about him very much. I, I Every day I'm just amazed at how much cannabis news there is. Speaking of which, we need to keep rolling. We've, we've reached the halfway point, so I'm going to do a quick relight. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any exceptions in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Did you know that the State of Cannabis News Hour's reach goes far beyond the greater continental U.S.? It's true. We've got worldwide live audience members and active downloads as far away as the United Arab Emirates, Japan, even China. China. I love them. China. 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 I have to have my China. 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 But also many other places. By becoming a sponsor, you can get your company the global marketing exposure you won't find anywhere else while supporting nonprofit cannabis news. Find out how you can support the State of Cannabis News Hour at www.justsaycare.org. Tell them Rico sent you. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's. She's the Plants for Life CEO and dual board certified physician with an affinity for helping folks understand and manifest their immense innate powers over personal health by using cannabis as medicine. You know? As it was intended. Dr. Felicia Dawson, good morning. What you got for us today? Good morning, Rico. Thank you so much. Uh, happy Monday, everyone. My article comes from Medical Express. It may be increasingly legal, but doesn't mean cannabis is safe by Clea Simon. What we consume, as well as when in life we are exposed to it, play major roles in how our brains may be affected. That was the message from Dr. Hurd speaking in the online presentation, Neuroscience and Cannabis, Implications for Law and Policy, which fittingly took place on 420. Dr. Hurd is the Ward Coleman Chair of Translational Neuroscience and the Director of the Addiction Institute at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. During her hour-long presentation, she went quickly through the legal history of cannabis in the United States, focusing on racial disparities in arrests, convictions, penalties, and the fact that black and brown moms are separated from their children for a positive drug test, more so than white moms are. And she did make a reference to the stress that um, women are going under and are being arrested for um, using cannabis. Quote, if we're going to arrest women for smoking cannabis, we should arrest most of society for the stress it causes in pregnant women. End of quote. A lot of Dr. Hurd's work is on cannabis in pregnancy. She has uh, 
concern about the endocannabinoid system and how phytocannabinoids may be interfering with our endocannabinoids. Um, she also feels that regarding recreational cannabis use, quote, if it feels intoxicating, it means it is binding to a receptor and changing your brain. The question is for how long and does it increase your risk for psychiatric disorders? Regarding cannabis and pregnancy, she also states for the first time to my knowledge that stress produces a much stronger effect on the fetus and that the stress and cannabis may be acting synergistically to affect the fetus in a negative way. She does caution young people that the brain is not mature until the mid-20s and that perhaps waiting to consume would be better for your brain health. She discourages high-potency TAC and encourages people to be aware of what they're consuming including and including CBD in their product. Uh, I have three points to make about this article. Um, it is interesting to me that when we're talking about cannabis, people are always saying it's binding to a receptor, it's changing your brain. But we never seem to bring up that same argument when we're talking about pharmaceuticals like antidepressants, anxiolytics, sleep medications, antipsychotics, and we're giving all of those to children as well. But we never hear about that effect that it's having on their brain. Number two, it's pretty much well established that cannabis is not causing psychiatric disorders. However, if you are at risk for developing a psychiatric disorder, cannabis may help it to manifest sooner. And number three, cannabis and pregnancy, the research that we have, I don't think is really measuring what cannabis is doing to the fetus. I think the research results are really measuring maternal stress, the adverse childhood experiences that they may experience, anxiety, depression, or perhaps the consumption method or having access to, to weed that is not the cleanest in the world. So those are my points. I'm Dr. Felicia Dawson, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. What do y'all think? I think those are great points, Dr. Felicia. And, and in addition to what you described about the, uh, the mental health medications, add all of the sort of ADHD medications that are given to children as well. Great story, Dr. Felicia. Thank you. I really feel like you brought up so many really important points. Thank you. And I, and I, and I, I do respect Dr. Hurt a lot because she's, she's really been doing a lot of work um, also with CBD and addiction and how it can decrease um, the risk of addiction. But I really feel like all of our hard work and researchers and physicians are coming up with the wrong conclusion from the results they're getting. Um, we, we are just now discovering how much what the mother goes through actually impacts the DNA of the child. So we have to be, I think, take better care of the mother, and then we would have better results in the baby. Yeah, cannabis isn't magic. It isn't perfect, but it's far better than uh, pharmaceutical drugs in most cases. We've got Sunra up from the audience. Sunra, did you want to weigh in? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, uh, welcome, everybody, and good rising. I just wanted to add that I have seven children that have had cannabis and been around cannabis all their lives. They had, mother had cannabis in her womb when, when they were uh, in the womb. And afterwards, they've been around me the whole entire time. And they look pretty smart and okay to me. That's all I want to add. A dope dad. Awesome. Okay, let's keep smoking the news. All right, coming up next. And I guess, Dr. Felici, I guess we can all say that we heard that. 
And coming up next, we have Christopher Smith. He's a communications strategist and publisher for the American Cannabis Report. Citizens, citizens from his home planet call him Clark Kent. While flying high on Earth, he's known to the public as Superman. But we all know his secret identity here with us at the State of Cannabis News Hour is Christopher Smith. What do you have us this morning for us today, Christopher? Thank you for the intro, Jason. Good morning, Susan and Rico. My story today is from the Daily Montanan. Montana is now a pot state, not a coal one, so tell our federal delegation. Come gather around people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving, you'd better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are a-changing. The 1960s were a time of change. 1964 was when Bob Dylan released The Times They Are a Changing. And the next year, Timothy Leary was caught with less than half an ounce of cannabis and sentenced to 30 years in prison. By the end of the decade, Dylan was playing electric. Leary had sued the federal government for violating his Fifth Amendment rights and won. And the Marijuana Tax Act was dead. For the loser now will be later to win for the times they are a change in. The last 10 years have seen great changes in cannabis, complete legalization of which is now discussed at the very top levels of government that once called Leary the most dangerous man in America. According to this article, the people of Montana are not happy with their representatives. They, they will not acknowledge that legal cannabis is a bigger industry and bigger contributor to Montana's tax base than coal. Quote, for years now, we have heard John Tester and Steve Daines declare themselves coal state senators whenever they so willingly vote against measures to reduce the tax or tax the use of coal and its planet-killing pollution. But as recently released data show, state and local tax revenue and number of jobs created by our cannabis industry now outpace coal, a trend that is expected to continue. The University of Montana predicted total sales of recreational pot would be $217 million this year, producing $43 million in tax revenue. The number was predicted to rise to $52 million in tax revenue by 2026. On the other hand, coal tax revenues are predicted to fall to $36 million by 2025 due to continued decline in domestic demand. And yet, when the Moore Act passed the U.S. House earlier this month, Montana's Republican Congressman Matt Rosendale voted against it. So now the measure goes to the Senate, where Tester says legalization would cause more problems than it solves, and Republican Steve Daines has already told Politico, I oppose it. Really, Senator Daines? And why would you do that, given that more Montanans voted to legalize pot than voted for you in the last election? That's a quote from the author. And the author finishes by saying, giving Montana's indisputable vote for, to support legal pot it's clearly time for Danes, Tester, and Rosendale to leave their phony anti-environment coal state excuses behind and start representing their constituents' priorities in Congress. Or, as Bob Dylan would say, come senators, congressmen, please heed the call. Don't stand in the doorway. Don't block up the hall. For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled, Schumer. The battle outside is raging. We'll soon shake your windows and rattle your walls for the times they are a-changing. And I'm done speaking. Yeah. I mean, isn't it the statistic is 70% of our elected officials in D.C. are in the pocket of pharmaceutical companies. So they don't care. They don't care. Yeah, they're, you know, they're in their pocket in the coal industry and the oil industry and representing your constituents. What a concept. 
Well, you know, one, one thing I think it's important for all my environmentalist greenie friends out there to, to remember through this whole process is that uh, solar panels, which everyone touts as a, as a formidable type of energy, you can't have solar panels because they're actually produced from coal. So you have to have coal if you want to have solar panels. Well, and I would just say for Tester and Danes, they might not be on board with uh, some of the comprehensive reforms that they're pushing, but they are on board with safe banking. Pass safe banking already. Wah, 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 wah. Fuck safe banking. That's pretty good, Rico. <laughs> it's pretty good. All right, let's keep this thing moving. Elon Musk was actively recruiting our next correspondent as lead analyst for his new $43 billion hostile takeover effort of Twitter. But TMZ broke the news first that she rejected it as she prefers her data drama free. An educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. Come to the stage next. Liz Rogan, what you got for us? Liz Rogan, what you got? Thank you for that amazing intro, Rico. Greetings, everybody. Happy Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, my story today comes out of Kentucky. It is uh, from Marijuana Moment by Kyle Yeager. The headline reads, Kentucky Governor Announces Medical Marijuana Executive Steps, Slamming Senate in Action. So on Thursday, Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir announced that he's looking into legality of potential broader executive moves to provide patients with medical cannabis access. Now that a House passed um, medical marijuana legalization bill is dead at the end of the legislative session. He tweeted that uh, he's making four steps to move forward. Number one, general counsel to analyze options on executive action for medical cannabis. Number two, establishing the governor's medical cannabis advisory team. Three, meeting with Kentuckians and advisory team. Four, advising email, sorry, establishing an email for Kentuckians to communicate with the governor's office, which is a GOV Gov Medical Cannabis Advisory Team at Kentucky.gov. It is in the article, but it's GOV MEDICAL Cannabis C A N N A B I S Advisory Team at KY.gov. So he's saying, I'm for medical cannabis, but I want it done the right way and I want it to be effective. To that, we need to hear from Kentuckians. So the first stage of his plan is to begin analyzing the options that they have under the law for executive action. He is also convening the medical cannabis advisory team that will, quote, travel around the state and listen in every corner of Kentucky for what you have to say about medical cannabis. Those who don't aren't able to participate can write that on the email, the feedback. Um, he says the public's engagement, quote, gives us a chance over the next couple of months to be thoughtful, but we're looking at action and culmination, some form of action, depending on the legal options at the end of the time frame. He says that the legislative results have come down to a couple of lawmakers that are out of touch with the vast majority of Kentuckians on the issue, and they are obstructing the reform. Bashir says it's his obligation to see what's possible given the will of the people and their desire to move forward. He's saying that recreational legalization um, is a possibility, but he says the state does need to look at the decriminalization aspect of cannabis, but there's very, very few arrests for possession currently in the state. He says, quote, you've got to work pretty hard to get arrested for possession of marijuana right now. He said, nobody needs to go to jail, ultimately causing them the loss of a job, part of their family, possession of marijuana. And it's very rare that happens right now. But the fact that this continues to happen, it shows that we're a little more outdated on that side, end quote. So there's other uh, representatives um, that are trying to push this through, basically Democrats. The medical cannabis legalization bill from Representative Jason Neems um, passed last month, didn't get a Senate reading ahead of the legislative session. Um, 
basically a lot of bills that they've been pushing forward are just running short on time. Uh, Senate President Robert Stevers uh, said that basically they're running on time, but they're all trying to move forward is the gist of all of this. But it's basically done for the year. Um, There's a few people who are really kind of basically holding it up. One is Senate floor leader Damon Thayer, who is a, uh, he says that he knows his constituents are for it, but he does own a whiskey distillery. And he said, if this is a republic, they can elect us to go to Frankfurt and make decisions on their behalf. And if they don't like it, they can take it out on me in the next election. So overall for Democratic leaders, legalizing medical cannabis is a top legislative priority. And um, so this is basically the gist of the story. There's a little more that it goes into on specific lawmakers, but I'll let you read into that um, on your own because I know we're a little short on time. But uh, nine out of 10 Kentuckian residents do support legalizing marijuana, medical marijuana, and 60% say that cannabis should be legal, quote, under any circumstances. So I'd love to hear what anyone in Kentucky has to say about this and any of our uh, other amazing correspondents. This is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Hell yeah. He stepped in at the right time. Let's keep smoking the news. All right. Coming up next to the stage, repping Long Beach, California heavy. Our next correspondent the CEO of Fruits Labs, a cannabis intellectual and property attorney, and no amount of springtime Southern California rain can stop this man's vibes. That's right. The man, the myth, the legend, the beard, Brandon Dorsky. Thanks for having me today. Hope everybody had blessed 420 weeks and weekends. My headline comes from Vice. It's eight scientists spend 16 months determining edibles look like food. A group of scientists published what they're calling the first empirical report of copycat lookalike cannabis products after studying them for 16 months. And their unsurprising conclusion is that there are edibles that look like popular snack foods. The goal of the study was to document copycat packaging, and a copy of the six-page report can be acquired for $35. The study was motivated by the absence of empirical studies and papers on the subject, despite the claims in the news of adulterated cannabis products that could confuse children. The study included a point system to determine how similar the weed edibles looked like to traditional snack foods. Each package was assessed and inspected for similarities with commercial non-cannabis products on the following variables. Brand name, product name, font, color, flavors, brand promotional characters, and number of packaging features that were copied or imitated. The study also looked at whether the TH content was listed on the package, the serving size, the presence or absence of standardized cannabis warning symbols, cannabis product warnings, cannabis leaf motifs, cannabis vernacular, like infused, medicated, or potent, activation times, and consumption advice. The study's conclusion was that some, but not all, edibles look like regular consumer packaged food. 8% of edibles studied used packaging similar to existing snacks, but the hard numbers were 267 edibles were reviewed, with 22 representing copycat lookalike products. Of those 22, there were 13 unique copycats, 8 using an exact brand or product name, and 5 using similar names. The popular knockoffs were Doritos, Sour Gushers, Nerds, Kellogg's, Skittles, Warheads, and Sour Patch Kids. And the similar knockoff names included things like Cannaburst, instead of Starburst, or Stoner Patch Kids, or Stony Patch Kids, instead of Sour Patch Kids, and a few others. The study's conclusion was that just 8% of the packages that scientists studied were copycats, 
and advised that future research should examine the child-friendliness of cannabis product packaging. The article did not comment at all on whether or not the knockoff products packaging was child-resistant. I was not really surprised by the conclusions of this article, other than only 8% of the edibles that they found were deemed to be uh, knockoffs or similar. I actually would have thought that a larger proportion or volume of the products out there would have been deemed knockoff or similar. So I actually think that's a good thing. It looks like some of the people in the industry that are trading on the goodwill of established brands have been eroded or those things are falling out of the marketplace, which means it's less likely to get in the hands of children, less likely to confuse consumers, and it means that legitimate operators are more likely seeing their product on shelves. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. Brandon, did you say who paid for this study? Uh, I did not say who paid for this study. I don't believe that. Let me see if I can pull it up. Sounds Uh, sounds like it was paid for by Project Sam, Brandon. (laughs) I would love to know who approved of this grant. Seriously, this sounds like somebody's trying to get a Cush dissertation, like at Bro Science U. I mean, like, oh, yes, I've got to take 16 months to try all these edibles and study these tiny little details on their package. Would you call that a Cushertation? I mean, I mean, you a, can a, get the study from Motherboard for $35. So you might find details on who actually paid for the study there. I mean, a Mylar bag is just a Mylar bag, right? Wait, and now they're selling the study? You could buy it? I mean, this is hilarious. I give these people credit. Hey, they're, they're, they're pretty they're, smart. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, trappers in the, in the study game. You know, you never heard of trapper keepers? Well, that may be the way they're getting paid for it. I've heard of binders full of women. He's one of the dopest dads I know. A former elite athlete and police officer that now prefers kicking it with the guys and gals in green over the boys in blue. This cannabis security consultant from CC Security Solutions is our go-to for law enforcement stories, giving us the leg up on competition and increasing your chances of survival. Up next, Chris Eggers. Let's go. Hey, happy Monday, everybody. Rico, thank you for the fire intro. My article today comes out of Connecticut, um, the town of Easton. So the town of Easton had an agreement between officials and local businesses that resulted in Easton becoming the first municipality in Connecticut to grow cannabis on town-owned land, and it could be a model for other towns uh, to follow. It was uh, apparently pretty successful, uh, a lot of support behind it. So while it took a while to iron out the details, Easton Grows LLC used approximately one acre of town property uh, to grow cannabis from I'm sorry, to grow cannabis plants for hemp and CBD. Um, as part of the deal, the company paid the city of Easton 20% of its profits. Uh, State Representative Ann Hughes, a Democrat representing Easton, uh, said that the partnership is the only deal that they're aware of in Connecticut and that uh, people like to buy products from local farmers. Easton is a farming community, she said. We've been farming for hundreds of years, and I think we have 20 active farmers in Easton alone. This is a legacy they're very proud of. Uh, Griffith Conti, one of the owners of Easton Grows, said that um, it was very successful that they ultimately had about $6,400 in revenue and they paid the, the city about $1,300 and they returned the land in pristine condition. Um, 
there's a couple other quotes I'd like to share here. It highlights that the farming is the potential use for some of the, the other remainder of the land, um, even land trusts that buys it. There's also talk about potential difficulties of securing properties, and this company had no issue doing it. So the company spent about $12,000 um, on an attorney to help them get through the approval process. And then once they were through that process, they spent about $30,000 of their own money building it out. Um, their goal, they said, was to raise awareness in the town. Um, and that they did not seek any grants for this. They had about 150 plants in total, um, and they were 100% compliance with any with all laws. No incidents of theft or any issues with public safety. Um, Hughes question why other towns would not want to explore options with cannabis growers, uh, quoting, saying, passing, um, just meant that other communities like ours would benefit from the revenue, and we won't. The towns that are doing it are a little bit more foolish because they are delaying working with the new economy. Uh, Hughes also emphasized that keeping cannabis production local was important, adding that these, quote, these big multi-state operators don't take pride in their work. I thought this was a pretty interesting article. Um, I'm curious what anyone has to say and if anyone is out there in our audience from Connecticut itself. Uh, my name is Chris Eggers, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Hey, audience, raise your hand if you want government weed. Do you want your weed bro- grown by the government? Raise your hands. Let's see it. Anybody? Any one person? Any, oh, one person. One person wants it. Let's keep smoking the news. All right. Coming up next. Thank you so much, Chris, for that story. She's the CMO of the award-winning tech platform Event High and co-host of the groundbreaking woman-focused Blunt Brunch event series taking us home today. It's Adelia Carrillo. What do you have for us this morning, Adelia? What's up, everyone? Good morning. So South Africa approves first legal cannabis pharmacy. Uh, South Africa has given the green light for the operation of the first legal cannabis pharmacy called THC Pharmacy, according to a report by the Sunday Times. The pharmacy supplies card-carrying medicinal cannabis users and it's and is registered with the South African Pharmacy Council and the Health Department. Um, THC Pharmacy CEO is named Kyle Brocklebank, and the pharmacy is located in Glenada, Johannesburg. Uh, currently, this pharmacy supplies two others, a CBD hub and CBD Aporium. Um, a few things to note. At THC Pharmacy, the doctor assists individuals with pl- applying for medical cards, but then they also have a chef who shows users how to use uh, cannabis in cooking. As a card holder, though, you are only allowed to purchase a total of 120 grams per, per person per month, which is four grams a day for 30 days. Um, Their goal is to get about 500 card-carrying members. Now, to obtain a license, the pharmacy underwent various quality checks with the South African Health Products Regulatory Authority. Um, Also, the process included uh, you have to go work with the CIPRAs, medical boards, health departments, licensing, and pharma accounts. Um, You also need to open, and you have to go through a certification process. It does take about two to three years to get even close to that. Um, Let's see. Uh, THC Pharmacy also works with Professor Benny DeBeer, whose cannabis company, CBD Full Focus, is involved in research and development and education. And basically, they are tying the process together between uh, THC Pharmacy and um, CBD Full Force. Uh, with the new with the news of THC Pharmacy, they already have 60 new patients as of last week, and they are planning on opening up more than 100 pharmacies. And they are stating that sales could generate over $1 billion um, S.A. Rand, uh, so I'm assuming the, the currency in Africa. Um, and this is Adelia, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
Thank you so much for bringing us home. We've reached the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that come through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. Big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there is news in your city, county, state, or country, your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Rico. Goodbye, everybody. See you tomorrow.